What's up, everybody, and welcome to another boardroom out of office podcast. Here, as always, with my man Gianni Harrell. Gianni, how are you? What's up? What's up, brother? I'm good, man. Special guest for you today. I'm going to get to it in a second, but this is number 38, and we are blessed to have somebody that I believe has the same type philosophy on energy, fun, and why we're doing all this as we do, which is why are you doing it if we're not having fun and we can't have fun and not take everything and everyone too seriously. So I am excited to also learn from her because she's been so incredibly successful in every walk of life. So without further ado, I will introduce our next guest as the CMO of Netflix, a visionary, and most importantly, the woman who gave Gianni his first internship, Miss Bozema St. John. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rich, Gianni. So good to see you both. And uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation. You know what I mean? It feels like right out of office. Yeah. I feel like I can, you know, take off the cape and uh, get real. <laughs> get real. This <laughs> is, yes, we will get real. And I will tell you, Gianni is super proud to have to had you as his first internship. He only told everyone here about 19 times today. <laughs> well, yes, he, exactly. what he may not have said is that uh, his father... Uh, made sure to text me probably every day for about two years <laughs> in prep for the moment. Um, and then even once I was in Paris, you know, getting ready to like go out for the night. Uh, and I get a text that like, hey, you know, you should go hang out with Gianni. He's in Paris. He's going to show you a good time. And I know that if you have a great time, then you'll know what kind of work ethic the young man has. Yo, all I know is all I had to have was one encounter in Paris in the club, and that's all she wrote. <laughs> we had a ball. I like that. I like that story. By the way, that's amazing. That's amazing. That was and the you, interview. <laughs> I feel you. I, by the way, if I told you what our interview was, it wasn't as glamorous as that, but it was. It was just as quick and, and just as fun, that's right, it. G? That's exactly. We, yes, absolutely. Um, so. I'd like to talk to you a little bit. First of all, um, when I was a kid and somebody asked me like what I wanted to be when I grew up, I knew I loved sports, but I couldn't kind of figure out the word hmm. that I wanted to use. And I did so many different things kind of like through my journey before Kevin and I came together. But mm -hmm. one thing that I always felt was that I wanted to like be somebody and be regarded and have this kind of mm. like feeling about what I did professionally that people just gravitated towards. And I mm. think you embody that. Truly, because everybody that I have talked to about you, anybody that um, refers to you, it's said with this kind of glow, like this unique uh, person that they had the privilege of crossing paths with. So, um, but I need to know how you became this person. That's why we're here. <laughs> I can't just that, give you your flowers. I got to figure I know, out right? how. I'm like, give me my flowers. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, it's so, it's so, I don't know. It's, it's both like uncomfortable to hear that, right? Because, um, I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm just living, you know, trying yeah. to live the best that I can. Um, and at the same time, I so felt and connected uh, with what you just said about, you know, not knowing how to particularly articulate what it is that you want to do, but knowing that you wanted to be somebody. God, mm -hmm. I mean, like, I, I almost caught the spirit and ran around, you know, because like, <laughs> I, I feel that. I feel that. You know, I'm going to tell you, like, a real life story. Like, I was um, probably 14, 
my parents had moved our family from Ghana to uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado when I was 12. Uh, and I don't have to tell you that that was a really rough and uh, rocky transition. Um, and my classmates, you know, were um, very homogeneous and hadn't traveled outside of Colorado. Most of them had never even left the state, right? Um, and so they were not um, used to people from other places, really, right? Everybody yeah. had gone to kindergarten together and grown up together. And um, I was very much aware of the richness of my culture, of my history, of me. You know, like that's one thing my parents didn't play with. Um, and even though I knew that, I could tell that other people didn't appreciate that. And I remember standing in my bathroom at like, I would say maybe 13, you know, 14. And I remember it vividly, like, like as if it happened yesterday and looking at myself and being like, why don't they know that I'm so damn dope? Like, I don't understand how they don't know that. Yo, and I, I really felt it. Like I was like, and I cannot wait until they find out. Like, like feeling it, feeling that in that intensity of energy, you know, and being like, yo, I am just like, this is the flyest shit. And I don't understand why they don't know. And when they find out. But I, so, so how do you, so I, I, we all know what it's like when, first of all, talk about wanting to run around the room. What you just said made me want to run around the room. I'm ready to end this interview. Like you are so dope. That's such a. That's a, such a in, insightful thought for somebody mm. coming from Ghana to America mm. in a place where I'm sure there was not many young black women joining their class. I mean, no. very rarely. I mean, never. Never. Right. So never. we all know what the new kid who joins at that age feels like anyway. Now yeah. you add all of this onto it and still your confidence at that age was unbreakable. And I saw you once say that your father was your biggest inspiration. I'm a father of two daughters. Was a lot of that confidence from him and your family? Yes, yes. Well, my father is, he has four daughters. Wow. Um, and he is the kind of stereotypical African man that was always trying for a son. <laughs> <laughs> So of course, all he got us. You know what I mean? Instead, instead he got us, uh, and God bless him for it, um, because he didn't see um, anything wrong with us being wholly and fully ourselves. You know, and being super independent in it. Um, he was also the kind of father that had very high expectations. Um, but not unrealistic. He never made you feel, never made me feel like his expectations were unattainable. You know, mm -hmm. he, like it was almost like he would ask you like, well, but why would you do that when you could do this? And he didn't ask it like to be insulting. He was just like, no, but you could, you could completely do that. Like, I don't even understand why you would, why would you go for this? I mean, there's this over here, you know? And so, and so I always felt that there was more for me, yeah. you know? And he also was completely unapologetic in how smart he is, yep. you know? He's the guy who like, yo, if, if my dad's story is so wild, it's like the very short part of it is that he was orphaned by the time he was 14, um, didn't have any kind of, you know, junior high school or high school education, um, but ended up like being, he's a self-taught musician, um, 
got a Fulbright scholarship to the U.S., gained two PhDs, one in ethnomusicology and anthropology. That man is smart without even trying, you know? And so we had the kind of dinner table where my little friends in Colorado Springs would come over when I finally got one of them to be trapped in and come to my house. (laughs) And he would be like, so what do you think about the political situation in Paraguay? (laughs) And the little children would be sitting there like, can we just eat the pizza? Yeah. And he'd be like, he'd be like, oh, do you, oh no, 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 no. We're going to talk about this. Like, you, you need to understand what's happening in the world socioeconomically. Like, he didn't, he didn't really care. He didn't talk to us like we were kids. Yeah. And so, for me, my barometer of what is possible for me, um, the depth at which I engage without ever backing down, because I think you should rise to my level. I'm not going to come to yours. Was instilled by him. Mm-hmm. unapologetically all the time he's that way all the time that's <laughs> very <incredible>. intense <laughs> uh, that's incredible and I, it's funny because i um again to try to find some parallels which i try to find with people that are so successful because then that would be dope for me right if i could see something that was felt <laughs> similar but i don't know if i had uh, a family maybe that was as achieved right and had that credential that Mm -hmm. I looked up to or I was inspired by, but it is that kind of like um, just hands up, listen, I'm supporting whatever, however, and if you think that's not possible, why not? That kind of mentality, sometimes Mm -hmm. for somebody with the kind of confidence you have is is all you need, right? Like because... Is your if your parents open up the doors and say any of this can happen and you have that confidence at a young age, then at that point, it's you know, you got all the momentum behind you. Yeah. D- did you go to Wesleyan? Was that like the plan in the family? Because your dad was this uh, oh. he was a professor there. He well, that's where he got his PhDs. Um, and so, yes, it was always expected that I would go there. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going there. Um, but I was also very much an overachiever as a kid. So I, I applied to, you know, eight schools, got into all of them and then went on my college tours to try and figure out where I wanted to go. Um, I really wanted to go to Georgetown. And when I got to campus, I was just lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was too big. It was like, you know, the kids, I, I couldn't find anyone that I identified with. And even, even at that time at 18, I was like, oh no, see, I gotta, fi- I gotta find my people. Like it's, you know, I got to find the crew. They don't necessarily need to look like me, but I need to feel it. And I uh, visited Wesleyan. um, And the first place I went was a dorm called the Malcolm X house. El Haj Malik El Shabazz house. Wow. And it was the blackest shit I've ever seen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And the kids that were there also very much it felt like me, you know, they were unapologetically black and unapologetically smart. Like they mm-hmm. didn't get, they didn't care. They could, they could talk about, you know, Tupac and his rhymes. And they could also argue you to death about the socioeconomic situations in Chile, you know? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, these are my people. And so for me, it was a no brainer, you know, to, to end up there. Yeah. Um, because I felt like I could, you know, at once be myself um, without fear of being, you know, laughed at, teased or whatever, and also challenged because I met my, you know, my crew, my, my best friends there who are still my friends right now, um, who were smarter than me. 
Yeah. Yep. You know, who really, I mean, they, they challenged me. And so I felt like, oh, wow, this is a place where it's like, not only, you know, don't I have to be afraid of being who I am, but there are people here who are my age who will challenge me. Yeah. You know, that was the dopest thing. So I had, I had a great time at Westland, man. I ran around that place. Shit. I had a great time. <laughs> Did you get it in too? Did you party? Did you party in college? Let me tell you something. Okay. I still owe a fine. That's what I wanted to hear. There's a, there's a fine out there. And let me tell you the most ironic thing, okay? Because, um, so Luke Wood, who, yes. of course, right, was president of Beats. Um, when I got to Beats, he and I connected because we both went to Westland. So he graduated uh, like a decade before me. And <laughs> the president of Westland came to Beats because Luke was setting up a scholarship fund in his own name. Yes. Which is a flex. But it's also, I was like, Luke, for, for real though? But anyway, whatever. <laughs> so, um, and Luke invites me in because he's like, oh, you know, the president, like you should meet him, blah, blah. So I come in there and um, the president is like, you know, we really admire, you know, our alums who are doing all kinds of interesting things. You and Luke are here together. Like Luke is setting up the scholarship fund. Can you get involved in the school? Da 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 da. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I want to give back. You know, I'm ready to do it. Very ready to serve. So we're all excited. He leaves, giving my email address, all of that. I shit you not. Three days later, I get an email from the president of Wesley University. And he was like, it was so lovely to meet you. We would love to have you on the president's council, but it seems as if you don't actually um, have your printed diploma because <laughs> you owe $357 to the university from 1999. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and, at the moment, I was like, you know, it's like, like I felt embarrassed because I was like, man, like I could have paid that along the way. Like I don't even remember what happened. And then I was just like, oh yeah, I remember that party though. That was that party. But then, but then I was like, you know what? Out of GP, I'm not gonna pay it. So y'all can y'all can keep the diploma. I'm doing just fine. I don't need it. But we've come to terms now. Everything is peaceful. I am on the president's council, but yeah, I threw a senior week party that is still talked about. Did you so pay it? You did you pay the fine? I did not pay the fine. I'm not paying Good. the fine. No, not, and, the, and, and I gotta say it, you don't have to say it because you probably run this whole school now, but the gall of them to ask you for that, my God, man. <laughs> you crazy? I, I was like, what? I was like, how are you gonna come ask me for it? But then you know what I did though, because I am also petty. I did write a group email to some of the people that were there at the party that night. And I was like, listen, if we split this up, all of us take a little piece of it. Let's take this hit together. Yo, I said, we did it together. Listen, everybody bring your $20. Okay. And and then we yeah. take care of this. Like we'll all, we'll all do it together. That's, yep. that's how I kind of feel. I like Nobody that. Was gonna pay. <laughs> I like so. that too. I like that. Or I would have said, uh, Luke Wood, since it's your school now, why don't you charge it to the game, man? <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, Luke, you got it. You got it. Just pay yeah. it for me. Go ahead. Pay it. <laughs> so when you're at Wesleyan, besides your father, or maybe before Wesleyan, was there a model of success? Was there a, a man, a woman, somebody in a position, a job that you held? Or was it that thing we talked about earlier was you just knew to keep working hard and, and chase and going? Um, that's a really great question because um, 
even though I, I obviously love, respect both my parents, they weren't in jobs that I wanted to do. You know, I didn't look at them and think that I wanted to be what they were doing. Um, and in high school, and I would say even in college to some degree, I think my world was still too small. You know, that there, I just didn't see anything that was super inspiring to me. You know, it's like when I went to college, I, I was really good in sciences and math. And so I became pre-med, right? It was like, oh, black girl who's good at science and math. Oh, you should be a doctor. Okay, I'll be a doctor. You know, it was like, it was the most ridiculous thing. But I got to school as pre-med, but then I'm like, you know, dibble dabbling and all this other stuff uh, in AFAM studies and, you know, poetry classes and doing the slams and sneaking off to New York and like going to New Yorkian poetry cafe. You know, it's like doing all of these things, dance troops. I was here for all of it. Um, and very much like what you said that like, you know, I couldn't articulate the career. I couldn't. I didn't know there was a name for it. Had no idea of anything outside of like the regulated, you know, type of careers I knew, accountants, doctors, lawyers, I don't know, nurses, like I, there was nothing else outside of those really strict bordered careers. Um, and so by the time I graduated from college, uh, I'd applied to medical school, you know, it's like I, taking my MCAT, applied to medical school. I was, you know, awaiting results and like, you know, ready for my applications. And um, I just knew that like, I needed a second. I just, I just, I just needed a minute to make yep. sure that that's what I want to do. Cause you know, once you lock in, that's freaking, you got 12 years. So I uh, told my parents I was going to move to New York, you know, and, and just explore. Yep. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anybody there. I don't even know why I said New York, to be honest with you. Um, but I came, you know, I, I went and yep. I knew one person who had been, she was, um, at school with me at Wesleyan. She had graduated a year before me and she was going to, um, Columbia film school. And so she had one of those fancy graduate apartments. Oh yeah. Uh, and so I could sleep on her couch and I was like, all right, I'm out I'm gonna sleep on your couch for three months and yeah, I won't pay you anything cause I don't have no money. Um, but I will cook. All right. Cause I can get down in the kitchen. So that was our deal. And for three months, I would get up, call, you know, around, like, cause, you know, back then when no cell phone. So let me just go ahead and age myself. Um, so I would go to the corner, 125th and Broadway, and call the temp agency to see if there was any jobs available. Um, most of the time it was no. So I'd go over to Floridita, which was on the corner, and sit in there and try to, you know, pretend like I, I push napkins around, pretend like I was doing something, you know? <laughs> wait for a couple hours, go call again. And then sometimes like something would happen and I would be able to go out. And then magically, one day I called and they said Spike Lee had fired his assistant and they needed somebody to go answer the phones. That was it, that was it. So listen, I put on my best gray polyester suit and ran down there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know Gianni, I know you wanted to talk a lot about Pepsi. I want to ask one question about the experience with Spike Lee, because there's yeah. something that I think that you have, and I'm listening to you, that I, you know how like uh, a lot of people now, young people, probably mm -hmm. tell you that, you know, what do you, what do you want to be? And they say, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And then I, mm -hmm. and I think that there's some 
there's probably some point to be made that there is a way to figure out how to be an entrepreneur. But for the most part, I think you're wired in some way to be that person. And I think one of those traits and one of those feelings is when you're younger and you go into these rooms, no matter what you're doing, there's mm -hmm. a part of you, even if you don't know the science, that thinks you can do it. You walk in the room and you're like, nah, but I know what they're talking about. I could figure that out. And that leaves you in this like frozen place of yeah. you either have to put your head down and keep working and know that that is going to work out, which you did, which mm -hmm. is, is incredibly inspiring and young people should listen to because what happens most of the time is what I did for the first 10 years was use that as an ego, a chip, do a little of everything, never hone in on anything, never really do the work and not learn the skill sets hmm. that you need to do in those first five, six years of your life. So hmm. when, when you went to work for Spike Lee, did you yet start thinking like, oh my, I, I'm in Hollywood now? Or was it like, let me kill this job as his executive assistant? Yes, Rich, you, you were 100% right that... Um, I walked in and he had two offices, right? There was one that was the advertising office that was on Madison Avenue between 49th and 50th and one which was in Brooklyn. And everybody wanted to be in the Brooklyn office because that's where all the magic happened. But I wasn't I wasn't yet over there, you know? The 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 call I got was to answer phones on Madison. So being in there, there was only like four people at, at that office at the time. And so the incredible, fortunate, you know, like stroke of luck that then I used to my advantage was I had incredible proximity to him, you know, and proximity to everything that happened. So I could see it, you know, and I was just called to do things. And listen, I was committed to do the best thing at the, at the right time. Like if he needed me to go get the coffee, guess what? That's going to be the best damn cup of coffee that he would get that day. If something spilled on the floor, I need to mop it up. Guess what my ass did? I got down my hands and knees and wiped that shit up. You would never find a spot in that place. If it was to write the copy for the client meeting we were going to, I had my thesaurus out. Like, let me find another word to express myself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, was, I was out here like this, okay? Just, just over here finding bigger words to use. Whatever was ahead of me, and even to the point where it's like his favorite story to tell about me these days, because he likes to, you know, say that like I, that I was his assistant and, you know, it's like my first job, um, was that he at the time uh, had just finished writing Bamboozled. And he was walking around with the, with the script under his arm and he walks into the office and I'm like, you know, curious and just, I just eager, right? Trying to do everything. And, um, I saw the script and I was like, oh, you know, can I read that? You know, and he's like looking at me like, you dumb little, and he, okay. You know, he's like, he hands it to me. And again, you know, I'm also full of a lot of ego too, right? Because I'm like, listen, I don't know if you know about me, Spike, but you know, like I'm not just pretty out here, all right? I've, I'm like, you know, I took that AFAM 101. I'm here with my English major. I can read, you know? So I'm over here reading, and the thing that I love about Spike and his writing, not just his commitment to absolute blackness, but the fact that he writes to the highest degree. Again, he's not trying to come down to the masses. He's like, you're going to rise to me, right? And so his writing is incredibly difficult. 
Um, and I think he thought that it would take me like a couple of weeks, right? So he comes in, it must've been like the end of a week. Cause I remember coming back on Monday, having read throughout the weekend and horrible fact, I used a red pen to mark up where I thought he could use some more character development to correct grammar, you know, make some suggestions. And I come in on Monday and he's like, oh, you, you know, you finished? And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Here you go. And so he, and I will like, it, it feels like it happened yesterday. Like he flipped through the thing and he's looking at all these red marks. And you know, it's like also leaked through, like some of the red has leaked through the page onto the next page. And he's like, you, you marked up my script? And I was sitting around like, oh, I'm sorry. That's not what you want me to do. That's the, you didn't, that's not what you asked me. You know? I thought you wanted me to review it, you know? And so he <laughs> the thing out of my hands, walks into his office, slams the door, and I'm sitting here and I'm literally peeing on myself because I'm like, the one job, the one job that I was able to get and I'm about to lose it over some foolishness. And so I'm sitting there with my purse in my lap just waiting, you know, just waiting to be fired. And he comes out and he was like, you made some good suggestions. You can stick around. And that's actually how I got my permanent job there. That was it. That's so interesting that you were in the Madison office as opposed to the Brooklyn office because knowing you and knowing your career, you are a wizard marketing and advertisers, which has propelled you to the greatest heights. But if you were, maybe you would have been happy in the Brooklyn office, you may be one of the biggest movie producers out right now. Yo, Gianni, this is what I'm saying. That like, I think back to what I said before, I am the dopest. Like, I feel like I could have made it with any lane because even to Rich's point, it's like, you know, once you're given something, if you're given the opportunity, like you've got to go give everything that you have. Like I was not going to leave anything to chance, nothing. Like, and I was going to study it as best as I could. I do that today. Don't think for one second that I walked into Netflix last August and thought I knew it all. Like, I know I'm great. But like, when I tell you that I've watched more hours of film than I think is possible, <laughs> <laughs> that I have picked the brains of folks that I really respect in the business, not just about marketing film or TV or docu-series, but of like the craft of making it. Like, this is, this is all study. You have to be a long, lifelong student of these industries. You know, and so that's why it's like, regardless of the job, I don't care about the title. You know, it's like, I, I still have the same drive, the same ethic as I did when I wiped up floors. You know, and I will, I will still do it today. Like if, if there's something to be done in the job, oh no, I'm not too big for it. I don't care what the title says. I'm, I'm gonna do that thing. Like you need me to look at some copy, here I am. We need to write some copy, let's go. Yes. Whatever, whatever it takes. And so, yeah, I, I've fully believe that, um, you know, some of it is destiny, but a lot of it is hard work. Yep. The thing about uh, feeling like you can do whatever, like when you get into this new environment and you start to kind of see the landscape of what you're about to work on mm -hmm. and then having to and in corporate America, you especially when you go into a business, there is uh, a and even if you're a pioneer, a trailblazer like you, when you first get there, someone who doesn't fully get it is going to lay out what the job is, right? And then someone right. like you goes, well, nah, I'm, I know that's the job. But like you just said, that's just <laughs> means the door open for me at Pepsi, right? 
Yes. So when you went to first work at Pepsi, uh, what was your first kind of entry there? Because you were there for a long time. Yeah. And then l let's kind of talk through your stay there because, you know, I was in the music industry before I went into this other side of my life. And that overlapped a little bit with some of your years at Pepsi and music played a major part in what you brought to the table there. So yes. let's talk about those Pepsi years. Yeah, those Pepsi years. Well, you know, I, I think it, um, you know, those years were before pop culture marketing was cool, you know, um, especially at that time, like if you want to be a marketer at a big company like that, it was a Pepsi or Coke, uh, like Procter and Gamble, Kraft, like any of those like really like stalwart type of companies, um, you had to have an MBA and you had an internship from the MBA class and then you were hired as a class together. You're promoted as a class, you learned as a class, the whole thing. Um, I did not come in the door that way. I came in right through the window, you know? It happened that um, I had worked on the very first uh, contract that Beyonce had with Pepsi because I was still uh, working for Spike at the time. And the idea to uh, have her as part of the commercial that he eventually sold started with me. And so the folks at Pepsi that we were working with, um, we, you know, I just became very close to them because I was the one who had the ear to the street. You know, all of those like times of being out and, you know, getting to know people and being in the club or being wherever, like at the shows and at the galleries and all of that. I was just absorbing all of that information and being able to give it back. Right. Um, the amazing thing and, and what I try to encourage people now, like when I talk to them about like whatever their own unique interests are, is that like I would do that without being asked. It wasn't, it wasn't work for me to absorb that type of stuff, right? So by the time I was talking to folks at Pepsi who were like, wow, like maybe you could come in and work in the multicultural marketing department and, you know, you could help like help us understand like what's cool with the blacks, you know, I was like, yeah, I could do that. You know, like I could figure that out. Um, but it was so corporate. You know, I walked in there and it was a lot of khaki pants and blue button button up shirts. And I came with my nose ring and I had an asymmetrical haircut at the time, you know, and just yep. like not looking like any of the people there. And I tried really hard, you know, to conform. Right. Yep. Because by that point, I'm like, oh, I understand. This is a career. This is an opportunity that not a lot of people like me get. I looked around. There was nobody that looked like me. And so I was like, okay, I, I'm, go I'm going to try and be like them. And I couldn't do it. You know, I really tried hard, but I couldn't do it. And so the power that I found was then being the one who had the information that they couldn't get because they were too afraid or too white or too straight to be in the places that I was. And so I just brought them all of that. And that's how my relationships began. And I think really part of the value of being what then became like, you know, a pop culture marketer, how it started for me, was just Yo, leaning into like what I had that nobody else did. Gianni, you, not, you are so dope. That, cause let me tell you so many things I just thought. Now I'm gonna have to, let's just, this isn't even an interview anymore. Now we're just talking, right? <laughs> First of all, multicultural marketing, like what the hell, that, thinking back on those terms, I'm like, what the hell yeah. does that even mean, man? Now we call it global lifestyle. You know what, you know what, Gianni? <laughs> It just changed names. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, I mean, really, it should just be global marketing. I, it's not even like it's it's. Well, all right. Let, let me digress. Let me go back. Is the that? other the other thing is okay. So, I would imagine that uh, I know Beyonce a little bit, and knowing you now a little bit, I would imagine among the many things you guys connected on, I know now also from working with Kevin for ten years, the level of work ethic for people mm. at that at that height is hard to explain. It's unfathomable. Yeah. Right. And. They also have an incredible ability to identify in a crowded room, no matter the skin color and mm -hmm. and background, like not nah, that person, that person is gonna go through that glass wall and <laughs> pick up whatever drops on the floor and everything like you said before. And I would imagine on top of yeah. all your intelligence and instincts was that, right? One of the things? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're you're hundred percent right about that, is that I literally would have walked on coals if that if that's what was needed. And figuratively, I did, <laughs> you know, because the fight that it took, you know, to get uh, some of the things that needed to be done there uh, and be creative about the solutions or to be creative with the cell, you know, because everything's a cell, right? You got to figure out the angle. Yeah. Uh, and so that for me became also another big muscle that I learned how to flex because it was like, listen, I know everything outside. That's really cool. The dope people who are out there who are doing really interesting things. Y'all want that. Uh, but there's fear in it. Right. Because it has to conform in the process to get there. And then you have people, talent who are completely like on a different level <laughs> than a lot of the people they're dealing with, right? Because those folks are like, oh, I'm gonna dial it in. You know, we're just, we're just gonna do this real quick and then I'm gonna go home and da da da. And no, that's not, that's not what we're doing. No, after those office hours, then we're gonna go to the studio and then you're gonna come to, to the set and then you're gonna go and read some scripts and then you're gonna, and it just continues. You know, and it's a 24 hour cycle of that. And again, my point is that if I didn't have the innate love of it, I don't think I would have been able to do it. This is not academic. You know, no. it's it's partly learned because you understand how to better to get better knowledge in the craft. But the, you know, seed of love, deep love and passion for the craft is actually what then drives. And so you're right. You, and you can always identify those people. You walk uh -huh. into any room. I'm sure mm -hmm. you do it all the time. You yep. can walk in and know immediately who is committed further than just what's happening at the table. Yeah. The people who will, who will not sleep because they are so like in love with the idea of what you're trying to do and will mm -hmm. go the extra step. They'll think of new ideas. You know, they'll find new ways to do the thing that you need to get done. And that's yep. the person that you want to connect with. So yeah, I connected yep. with her for sure around that. And also those people don't, you know, the people that you identify probably don't like small talk. That's the other thing I've realized. Small talk I can't deal with because it, it's the, the people that, and, and this is what happens at corporate America with how they um, at least historically would deal with talent or talent mm -hmm. that became enterprise. And why I'm sure you rose the ranks very quickly is they would walk in a room and say like, hello, Beyonce, how was that show? How is Jay-Z feeling? Where yeah. all of Beyonce wanted to hear was a conversation like any other human would have. And I think you probably clicked with that early and started to realize that 
if you really weren't doing anything, like you said, that was rocket science. Like you yeah. walked in with this incredible confidence like you did when you were in Colorado as a kid. You walked mm -hmm. in like you did at Wesleyan and you go into these rooms and where I think you um, probably excelled differently than I did in, in maybe that time frame was when you get in that environment, it can get daunting though because yeah. when you know you want to be somewhere and you've been used to having a trajectory upwards, the first time you even go in neutral starts to become this feeling of like, well, is this actually what it is? Is this my job? Is this my life? Yeah. And then you got to reset. You find your next kind of like opening and that next light mm. and you continue to move. So mm. after eight years at Pepsi, was there no more kind of like light for you to find there or direction to go in? Mm. Is that? Yeah, it, it was a confluence of things, you know, that happened. <laughs> I feel like it's always the case, you know, but yeah. for me, it was um, a true inflection point in my life. Uh, so, yeah, I had been at Pepsi for, yeah, eight, nine years. Um, I, you know, had steady promotions and was working on really big things. Um, that year, it was 2013, and um, I had negotiated maybe the biggest deal of my life <laughs> at that time anyway. You know, Pepsi had signed a 10-year deal with the NFL for the Super Bowl halftime show and we had put Beyonce on the stage and it was like, and when I tell you that was a fight, that's a whole nother discussion for another time. Cause that whole situation was just nuts, but it was such a triumph to win, you know, with a black woman on that stage when Janet Jackson had been the last one and been a decade, you know, uh, and to have her win was just like, it was, I, I was on like cloud 12. You couldn't, you couldn't tell me nothing, you know, nothing. And so I was fully expecting that the promotion that I was seeking was just like right around the corner, right? Because like I delivered. Um, at the same time, uh, my husband of also a decade had been diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma. Um, and at the time, like we weren't really afraid of cancer. I know that sounds probably crazy to say, but both our mothers unfortunately had battled cancer. Both were survivors. My mother was on her second bout um, with uterine cancer at the time that Peter was diagnosed. Um, and so we just went into like, you know, the mode of like, okay, what's the treatment plan? You know, the chemo and radiation, like what, what are we doing? I was so confident about it. I didn't tell anybody at work. I didn't tell anybody, you know, it was like our private matter that we were battling and dealing with. And I kept work over here and my personal life over there. Um, I also had a four-year-old daughter, you know, so there was just a lot going on in life. And um, by October of that year, his oncologist uh, said that his cancer would be terminal and that he wouldn't survive it. And it was so, sh I mean, I don't think, I, I still can't articulate what that felt like, you know, or, or trying to understand what was being said to us. You know, because I was just like, this is not part of the plan. This is not part of the plan. Like, I'm over here, like, working my ass off. At the, at the job, doing great. I have a four-year-old beautiful little girl who's a delight and the joy of my life. I have my husband of 10 years. He's doing great in his career. Like we live in on, you know, the top of Central Park, just enjoying life. This is not the story. This is not what happens. And he then went into, you know, the, the, the most terrible of battles you know i saw him just wither away in front of my eyes i mean i'm talking about like within two months it was it was the craziest thing 
And um, when he passed away, um, I was trying to, you know, just refine my purpose, I think, you know, trying to figure out what happens next. Um, and it just totally shattered my world. Like it just, I, 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 was, I was in so much shock, you know, thinking that like, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And um, I was also still very much in love with my work. And so I went back after uh, quite a short bereavement time and um, I went to my boss and I was like, all right, well, I gotta find something to do because sitting at home is driving me completely crazy and um, my grief is going to kill me. So I need to know what's up, you know, what are we doing here? Like, am I getting this promotion? Like what's happening? Remember what happened last year? Like, are we good? Uh, and he said to me, and again, I can remember this like it was yesterday, sitting across his desk in this little ass, stupid ass little office. And he looked at me and he was like, you know, you haven't hit enough home runs. So we can't, we can't, we can't really prove that uh, you've done the work. Wow. So you're not, you're not ready for the promotion. This, this was a conversation that happened six weeks after my husband had died almost a year to the day that Beyonce had been on Super Bowl halftime show stage. And I was like, wow, like that's, <laughs> but I almost feel like I had no choice. Yep. You know, I went home and um, I was sitting on, on my couch and just like, when I tell you like the kind of suffocating grief, you know, grief over my husband and grief over the job, like that double whammy where I was just like, what the fuck, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do about it? Well, now, to be honest, there were a lot of people in my life who were very concerned for me, rightfully so. You know, they thought I was having a, a breakdown, like there was all kinds of things. Um, but really what was happening was a rebirth. You know, that was what was happening to me, was that I was finding my own way again. Yeah. In a very painful way, but it was so necessary. And divine intervention meant that uh, I got a call from Jimmy Iovine about three. It was, weeks was probably watching you very closely. Yo, like a hawk, because you know, you know Jimmy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he had just launched Beats Music, and he called and said he wanted to meet in LA. I had nothing to lose. Like I was, I was, I was at the bottom. There was, there was nothing. So I got on a plane, went to LA. He was talking some shit. I had no idea what he was saying. I was like, I don't know what you're saying. You said streaming what? Like, I don't know nothing about what you're saying. But I was, I was in such a fog, you know, in such a, a dark, deep place. And I sat on his couch at his house and he it like stopped in the middle of our conversation because, you know, I was going on and on. He was telling me about music and relationships and all that. And I said, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can actually do this. You know, I was like, I, you know, I, I have the resume. I know I, you know, I understand big corporate spaces. I can move easily and whatever acquisition space you want. Cause he was hinting at Apple, but he didn't tell me. Um, cause he, that's what he wanted, right? He wanted a, a, a big marketer who understood corporate spaces, but could also speak the language he was speaking. And, um, I just said, you know, it's like, I'm, I don't know that I can find my way out of this dark place that I'm in. You know, and he just like looked at me and he was just like, listen, he's like, you've got to find another reason to live. 
you've got to find one. He's wow. like, and maybe this is it. He's like, you need to find something that you don't know anything about. He's like, so don't be scared of this. He's like, you need to come here, move from New York, bring your kid, and just buckle down and learn something new. He was like, and maybe that can be your life until you find out what you really want to do. That's all I needed to hear. I went back to New York, packed up my shit that same day, quit my job, and moved to L.A. Everybody thought I was crazy, by the way. Literally everyone. Even my mother. I, I could tell you right now, if I was friends with you then, I wouldn't have told you you were crazy because I idolized Jimmy. But before we get to that, because, uh, wow, there's so much. First of all, I am so sorry for your loss, truly. Um, and I will say that I could imagine that on so many levels, the obvious ones, but that, you know, for someone, I had addiction in my family, which I can't relate to loss because it's not the same. But when you're mm-hmm. somebody that sees a solution in everything and mm-hmm. never lives under the guidelines of that there's not a way to figure it out it probably and i can't even imagine the pain you must have been in because on Mm. top of the loss was this feeling of that you couldn't fix something where you had always Mm. kind of persevered through um and i and listen everything in life i don't want to simplify it it obviously um happens for a reason i'm not saying that in regards Ah. to your loss but in terms of meeting jimmy and i i will say that I think Jimmy has a great way of making feeling lost be powerful. And in some way, like, you know, we interviewed him um, a few weeks ago and he talked about the school he was building with Dre, uh, the hybrid thinking. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just like I, I just like if I couldn't have loved him more, I was like, I get it. Like, because when you're now when I'm in my 40s now and able to be successful at just what I was told was kind of lost and crazy when I was younger is incredible. So to think that young people now can be a hybrid thinker and be non-traditional in their way of approaching things and have a path for them was incredible. And when you got to Jimmy, um, I could imagine he saw all that talent in you and the reset, I think Mm -hmm. that everyone goes through in their career, you were going through with a young child and in your life. And Mm -hmm. you're at this now, it's a big business because it's Jimmy Iovine, it's Interscope, it's Beats, but it was a, a startup gone big, right? So the energy and the energy of Jimmy must have been so different than Pepsi and maybe a little bit like Spike in the beginning. Was, yeah. he, was he just this remarkable person to work for and work with and be around? Oh. You know, that's, that's the thing is that I do believe in divine intervention. You know, I believe I needed Jimmy as much as he needed me at the time. You know, that um, his energy, his relentless pursuit of something that people told him couldn't be done. It matched what I felt, but didn't know how to express. You know, it was, it was that moment in that office at Pepsi when they said I didn't hit enough home runs and me looking at them like, what? You know, that he was also facing down on a much bigger level and much more public level, you know, people who were looking at him trying to build this tech company off of the back of a speaker business, right? Headphone business and telling him literally that he was not going to do it. And him just looking and been like, what the fuck you say? You know, like, you, who are you talking to? And I needed that energy, you know? Like, like I was both mixed with intense ambition and anger, like pissed off. You know, I was pissed at the unfairness 
of being a widow. I was pissed at the unfairness of having these stupid people who I had worked so hard for and given so much to, to not see my brilliance. It was like, I was 14 again, looking in the mirror, like, don't they see I'm so dope? Like how they not see that? I was filled with so much frustration at that. And so here I saw somebody who, even though he was like complete opposite from me, physically, you know, like life story, the whole thing, right? It's like me and Jimmy together, we just look like, you know what I mean? I'm like six feet tall, you know, black, you know what I'm saying? Super femme, like that's not Jimmy at all. No, like in the but, dictionary under opposite, right? No, it's like the two of us, like right there, you know? But we connected, but we connected on that level, you know? And so I could feel it. And so it was like, when it was time to go, and then we were acquired by Apple. Oh, I knew, I knew what I was doing. I was, I was ready. Like that moment was made for me. And that is what I sincerely believe about all of us that sometimes, and to your point, it's like, you know, do I wish I could reverse Peter's death? Absolutely. I fantasize about that. I wish I could do it. I wish I had the power to bring him back. Every day I think about that. I look at my daughter and wish that she had her dad here, you know? But at the same time, I look at the opportunity that was given to me at that moment. I would not have had it if I hadn't gone through that moment. And so I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that I was able to transfer that grief and that anger and that frustration into something positive and channel it into a new inflection point for my life. That's amazing. It's amazing because you had a perspective at, at a young age, but to gain this higher level of perspective that is, I mean, I don't even know if I'm there yet, where you deal with something of that magnitude and still have to find the reason, right? And for somebody that had worked so hard, fought obstacles, you know, you had a supportive family, but this, I would imagine, was like, this was not, like you said, something that was in the story. This wasn't in the oh. movie you wrote. Um <laughs> But to be able to then, like, as the director of your movie, have to rewrite this, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and to do it and to meet Jimmy, and the irony being that you two are so the same, you know, and that's like, you know, th that we really couldn't put it in the dictionary because the, the people that know know that you two are the same in so many ways. Um, so I read something, and then I did a little uh, um, research around this. Huh. I read that in 2016, you had what they called this like pivotal moment, right? Like yeah. you, 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 like people knew who you were. But if you look further under the hood, Gianni started in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> you finally found it out. So, you found out the secret. Ah! My whole story is crumbling. You found out. So did Gianni write this speech? That <laughs> no, that, oh, first of all, that is hysterical. That, that is hysterical because, you know what? Fuck it. I do, I do credit Gianni. You know what I'm saying here? I, I credit Gianni with the Apple keynote presentation for sure, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Listen, right. listen. Let me let me chime in. Okay, I am a very fresh intern in June 2016. <laughs> Bozema just did this fantastic WWD conference that Apple does every year. She 
So her, her outfit was fantastic. Her hairstyle was amazing. She basically demonstrated how to use Apple Music. And the entire audience and everybody watching was like, who is this woman? Why can't she present everything Apple related all the time? <laughs> it was wild. So it I had wild. nothing to do with Ooh. that. But I, I was there. Yeah. You were there. You were there. It was your energy. That's what did it. It was the yeah. energy that I there felt that connected to me. And then there you go. <laughs> You know, I got to tell you this. I mean, outside of the fact that our world has completely crumbled apart, professionally, the last year since you've started working with me has been our best year. Yo, I'm telling you. Yo, you got the Midas touch, G. It's him. Listen. Wow. Give the credit. Give the credit if, when if it's the Nets, If the Nets win the chip this year, Gianni, I don't even know, man. I'm giving you a ring. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm trying to stay humble here. <laughs> no, don't do it. Don't do it. Brush your shoulders off. Don't yeah, do it. Don't not do on it. this pod, bro. Exactly. Not not here. Not, neither of us are gonna allow you to be humble. No Talk way. your shit. <laughs> I have a question, and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But I, when you you leave to Uber, was there a thing for you about moving around at that point? Like, was no. there? So what was the genesis behind that? No. Oh, now this is this is the hard question, right? Because I think if I could have stayed at a company and you know, retire with the gold watch or whatever the hell it is they give you after like 30 years of service and you get the plaque. <laughs> I probably would. You know, for for all of the talk of like, you know, brilliance and all of that like, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to do good work and just be appreciated for it. That's really it. And if there was one place that would actually do that for a black woman out here, I would stay. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And wow. so I left Apple because after the keynote, it feels like a broken record almost, you know, that um, I wasn't I wasn't being given my flowers. And again, I knew how dope I was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how dare you not see me? And so when Travis Kalanick, who founded Uber, when we met and uh, he saw what I had to offer and he put his money where his mouth is, I was like, yeah, watch me. <laughs> and so I left and went yep. to Uber. Now, the tragedy in that is that uh, a week after I got there, he was fired <laughs> by the board. Oh, yep. yeah. You know, it was like delete Uber was on fire and looking for somebody to blame. And he was a CEO. And so... Yep. Out he goes. Um, and I literally was sitting there like, oh shit, you know, I just left this job. I'm here. It's been a week. I was supposed to move to San Francisco from LA. And I was like, oh, wait, no, let me not sell my house yet. Let me just wait and see what happens to this place. Uh, and I, I had become very good friends with Ariana Huffington, who was uh, on the board at Uber. And so she'd been involved in all of the, you know, negotiations and things behind the scenes with Travis. And she was just like, you know what, just just stay in place, you know, help do the job. Because my job was chief brand officer, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what they needed was a, a rebranding. Yeah. And I knew I could do it. Um, but again, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, new management um, didn't really see the value of my, of my contributions. Um, although for the record, I was the one who put LeBron and KD in an Uber and had them talk about their black male experiences. After which, it when it aired, Laura Ingram said that he should shut up and dribble, 
And that created a whole firestorm and inspired him in new ways to create more than just an athlete. And we went on ESPN and all kinds of places talking about this inflection moment for him. Uh, and I came back to the office and uh, my boss said that I should essentially not bring any more attention to Uber based on the those experiences. And I was like, we've got <laughs> one of the greatest athletes of all time who's being paid a billion dollars by Nike, by the way, and we're not paying him a goddamn two, two, two billion. Two. Two of the greatest and athletes of all time in that car. Two of the greatest athletes. You're correct. You're correct. Let me, let me just, you're right. Okay. All let right. me go ahead and revise that statement. <laughs> and, you know, they're giving us their time for essentially the cost of producing this thing. And we've also stumbled upon the beginnings of what was racial reckoning, right? And if there's a company who can authentically be in the center when we are talking about the inequities, of women, of people of color in corporate spaces, you are literally being held up as the poster child for the people who don't do it. And now you've been given this golden opportunity because you're involved accidentally, not even of your own volition, in this incredible moment. And you're gonna tell us to be quiet? Yo. You got on out. I was just like, okay, peace, deuces. By the way, on my last day at Uber, I won the Can Lion Award for that campaign. Yes, you did. And I was like, see, I told you, but yep. I was like, but you, it's too late now. I'm out of here. And I, I left. <laughs> you know, I trailed that car. I was in Cleveland for that and trailed that car. Were you there? I, no, you were not. Yes, I was. I was in the car right behind them. Shut I drove. Up. Yeah, I did. I drove with um, either Randy was with me or Rich. Someone what was with are you me in the. Talking about. Yeah, and Maverick didn't make it in because of the <gasps> snowstorm. Because of the and, storm. So I had him on the phone and I was talking to LeBron and Kevin. I kept running up to the window. Yeah. Yo, I was there. I was I, there. I was Except there. I was in my hotel room because you know what I'm saying? It was cold outside. It and was I'm, cold. I'm a little bit of a diva. Okay, it Rich. It was cold. I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if you know, but I'm a little bit of a diva out here. I, so. I, by the way, as you should be. As you should be. But you know what? I can't believe that story. That's inf By the way, I want to fuck up the guy at Pepsi who said that. Let's not use names. And now I want to fuck up the guy at Uber that said that. And to think that Uber, first of all, it sucks that you didn't get to work with Travis. Because even though people were probably, there's a whole, obviously, part of the world that thinks he needed to go sooner. You would have, you would have been perfect for him. Yes. You would have been perfect. Yes. Yes. And I believed him. Yeah. For the record, I believed him. I thought that he had realized the transgressions, that he was probably one of the only CEOs at the time in Silicon Valley who really understood the value of diversity and inclusion, and he was ready. He had made the commitments, he had done the things, he was ready to go. He would have changed the entire game. And it's it's unfortunate that nobody saw the vision that he yeah. had. Wow. You know, we actually, um, Gianni and I interviewed Ariana Huffington in these seats two days ago. <gasps> we could have done it all together. So many we could have done it all right together. Here. Oh my God. Ariana is, is to talk about dope people. So dope. Woo! Absolutely. So, dope. so brilliant. Her story, like, come on. Incredible. Oh, you want to hear something I'm, funny? You know how she's, it's all about like the, the balance and, and calm and wellness. And when I mm -hmm. first went to her house, she had this bed that she put the phones on, like a symbol. You know about these beds? She gave me one of the beds. Yes. So me too. So she says, Where's your bed? I said, I think I lost the bed. 
and I said, you should make bunk beds because I have kids. We're laughing. Oh, my God. And then she goes, I'm going to send you a bed. No joke. It's like Gianni and I put the mic down. The elevator came up and the bed was here. We were like, where the hell did Ariana Huffington just send this bed from? I'm telling well, you, it's like magical. I, magical. I don't know how she does it. She's one of the most incredible people on Ever. the planet. Like the, huge brain, but also the biggest heart. Yes. Like, how do you do it? And this like calming influence that comes yeah. over her. I was in this like turbulent flight with her and she just like talked me down. Just her voice oh. was amazing. She didn't know she was doing it. We were talking about something else, but it was happening. Um, yeah. Well, by the way, I will somehow fuck up this guy from Pepsi and Uber one day. We'll do it together. Um, <laughs> Facts. But then you went to Endeavor for a little bit, I saw. Um, yes. And that was in 2018. So, And in 2018, Endeavor was like, I mean, and they still are, but the perception was behemoth, like no stopping. They owned everything. They were buying everything. Um, what was your, what did they want from you? I mean, I heard Ari like did everything under the sun to bring you there, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually, that felt really good, you know, especially because I was at Uber suffering under these conditions. Um, and you know what I'm starting to realize is that, um, you know, I really love passionate founders a lot. You know, I think we share a lot of the same energy. Um, and it even goes back to something you said about entrepreneurship, you know, that while um, I think I have some characteristics of that, uh, and although I have not started my own type of company in that way, I understand the energy, you know? And so when I met Ari, like he had cold emailed me and I was like, I didn't answer the email because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, he sent some other people like, you know, the friend of the friend of the friend who was like, Ari Emanuel is trying to get in touch with you, you know? And we were both at the Super Bowl, I think it was in Minnesota or something, someplace cold. And uh, he asked me to come meet him for breakfast. And meanwhile, I get there and he has like every single piece of history on me. And I was like, what the fuck? How, how, I don't even understand. <laughs> Who have you been talking to? Yo, it was like I was talking to like, I don't know, the FBI or something. It was just the wildest thing. And at the end of it, he kind of made me a job offer, but I wasn't sure what it was like. I was so confused. You know what I mean? Like, I was just kind of like, so what does this mean exactly? You know, and he was like, you should come to Endeavor. And I was like, to do what precisely? And this man, quote, I'm not sure, but I would like you to be at the company. And I was like, uh, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that because yeah. like, you should know, cause you know, cause that by that point I, I faced some corporate trauma. Yeah. I'm like, you should know who you're getting, right? Cause <laughs> there's been an evolution over the time. And this, this is what I bring. And I'm going to need you to understand that before I jump, because I'm not thinking about doing this anymore. And he was what I also needed at the time, you know, a rehabilitation in some regard for somebody who literally saw me, yep. you know, understood the, the, dynamic, the, the dynamic way that I operate, um, was not afraid of my blackness or my womanness, you know, was very, very excited about personality, you know, and being able to bring the whole thing. He would egg me on. You know, it's like, I like to get my nails done. That man sent me like a basket full of nail polish. True story. <laughs> you know, it. it was just like, it was like when the, when the pandemic started, he sent me a text and he was just like, what are you going to do about your nails? 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, you know, saw saw the minuscule things and saw the big things. Yep. And yep. and again, I believed him, and so I was like, all right, I'll come, and uh, we'll see what we can do together. You know what? It's those one of one type people. It's that like you're a one of one, Jimmy's a one of one, Spike's a one of one, Ari's a one of one. And you know the people that you ran into that are one of millions because they're the ones that didn't get shit and told you, you know, everything wrong, you know. So I I think that's probably and I kind of like Ari's honesty in saying, like, I don't know in that, like, you're just so incredible. I need to work with you. Um, Mm -hmm. It was probably very different than like the um, the job descriptions you were handed at more corporate companies and. Yeah. but yeah. was 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 that kind of like uncertainty of the role and did that end up being why you had to go ultimately just because there was no area no. for you to No, I think I could have stayed at, at Endeavor. If there was any one company that I probably could have, you know, retired after 30 years, it probably would have been Endeavor, you know? Because um I really like I really love Ari a lot. I respect him. I think he's an incredible visionary. I like his energy. You know, the same man that like can curse you out of your name will also cry. You know what I mean? Like that kind of passion and extreme, I I really thrive with. Um, But he was looking for someone to help to bring all parts of this behemoth that he was building together. You know, and for me, it was such an incredible opportunity because I was like, wow, you know, you get to build a brand, you know, it's like Endeavor was a name. It didn't really mean anything because people knew WME, they know Miss Universe, they know professional bull riders, they know, you know, the UFC, but like to bring it all under one umbrella to make it mean something was was what he didn't have. Um, And part of it, you know, was just a confluence of things, you know, which is just like building a brand is tough and it takes a long time. You know, you need like discipline and understanding of marketing academics in order to do it. Um, And I don't think he had enough patience for it, you know, although that was no fault of his because there was a lot of things happening in the market uh, that would slow us down. And so I felt like I was just slowing down as well, you know, that like the things that I wanted to do, the kind of sharpness I needed to have, my tools weren't being used. And so I could have stayed there for sure. And then I I ran into Ted Sarandos. And you was and, re- like, <laughs> and reset. You know, I get it though because you had just reset, went through the ultimate tragedy. And while you respected what Ari needed to do, it was like if I got to slow this shit up, but for one second, right? I got to go. And I understand that feeling because I feel that I had breakfast with uh, Steve Stouts, a dear friend of mine, and he mm-hmm. we were in, we were in Miami a few weeks ago, and he was talking about this thing. He gave me a story. He said to somebody when he said, "If I have to go, but one iota backwards." I'm kicking like, and that whole mentality of like, no, there's no looking back now from the no. speed I'm moving at, where I want to go, what I have to do in this world, what I've yeah. been, what I've been through to get here that I, with, all, with all due respect, if you can't keep up right now, I got to go. Right. Go. Oh, you just said it. That That's exactly it. It's like, you, it, like at the speed I'm going and what it took to get here. Like when I tell you that I earned every single moment of this, I earned it. Yep. And so to even think about slowing, I think that might be actually one of my biggest fears. You know, that if I ever slow down, I will stop. Yeah. 
Totally. And I don't want to do that. It's like being, a, you know, in a marathon. You know, if you ever run like any long distance, you know that like once you stop moving your legs, it's hard to move, but you'll start losing your breath faster. Yep. You know, and so I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going at this speed. And so for me, it was like when the opportunity at Netflix came along, I knew I had to go. And I, I you know, I'm, I haven't told many people, but I, I cried when I resigned. It was the first time I cried resigning a job. You know, I couldn't wow. even get the words out when I was telling Ari. I couldn't. And he and he knew it already, you know, which made it worse because he was like, he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I can't. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, then don't do it. He's like, just hang up. We'll pretend we never had this conversation. I was like, oh, I can't. I have to go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's how, how old is your daughter now? She's almost 12. Uh, so is my daughter. She turns 12 June 17th. When's really? yours? Really? Mine is May, May 29th. Wow. So are they both? Wait, what Gemini? would that be? Gemini. Yes. All right. Yeah, yeah. she's a Gemini. <laughs> That's amazing. This is a your very, daughter's a Gemini, Rich. This is a very this this is a real age. This is real deal because yeah, this is yeah. For real. Like, it's real, real out here. Yeah, like and the scary thing about the pandemic was like I watched her grow up in front of me every day. It was freaking me out, right? No, it's the scariest thing. She she put on this outfit yesterday because she's ready to be outside, and I was looking at her and I was just like, yo, like I have a whole. Like almost teenager up in oh here. Oh my god, wild! It's wild. I can't but, believe it. You know what I'm? You know what I'm hoping for though is things like what I read that you said about your dad. Because to hear a young girl say that their father is their like inspiration is amazing. Yeah. Um, and how and how is your daughter with how hard you work? Because you know it's a balance for me as well. And the pandemic was an incredible gift in that yeah. if you loved what you do. It was like, you know, listen, it's hard to say that because of what everyone in the world suffered. But during that time period, I had dinner with my children every single night, right? So there was more memories made in the last year than I maybe did before that period. For sure, for sure. So is your daughter understand what a boss you are and like how you run this shit? <laughs> um, I don't think she, I don't think she knows everything. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think this actually, our relationship probably goes back to when Peter died, you know, because I was so terrified because um, she was four and I was just like, I was like, oh, like I got, this is a whole lifetime. Like I didn't even, you know, like I'm supposed to raise this person by myself. Like this yeah. don't make no sense, you know? And um, at four, this is going to sound so wild, but at four, I really, I really just looked at her and she remembers this conversation too, by the way, where I was just like, listen, I don't know how to do this. I was like, like your, I was like, your dad was so much better at this. Like, I, I just, I don't know what I'm doing and um, I'm going to need your help. You know, I was like, I was like, you're going to have to tell me what it is that you need. I'm going to do my best to tell you what I don't know and what I know, but pff, we're, we're going to do like, we're going to do this together. And that set the tone. And so every step of the way, I've been able to be that candid and that honest with her. That's incredible. Even when I was flying like 200 days out of the year, 250 days out of the year, you know, as long as like I'm communicating and telling her why I'm doing the thing or, you know, why that is more important than her basketball game, uh, she has been fine with it. But also I, I have to hear her when she says something is important and I need to be there for it. That yes. is when I stop everything. Uh, that's right. Better. That's right. Um, can she hoop? Is she a good hooper? No. Terrible. 
She knows too. No, I know. My, my daughters can't hope either. I kind of want to ask you, I kind of want to do a little case study because you're brilliant. So what's the difference between marketing a low budget, fantastic film that could be an Oscar nominated movie versus an underground Afro beats artist who has yet to pop in the States? Hmm. Ooh. Well, you know, it all starts with the audience, right? I think there's a lot of times when people are really navel gazing and looking at the thing that they have and they're not looking out at the people, you know, that, that is yeah. where I a lot of brands and a, just a lot of people go wrong. They, they forget the audience. They don't pay attention to what it is they want. So the trick is you got to figure out what they want and then connect your thing to that. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yep. that's why the same connectivity between like a, a small film or a, you know, underground art, like Afrobeats artist or McDonald's, <laughs> you know, that you can find the same connections because you have to start outside. You don't start inside with your thing. I think it's so annoying when brands are like, people are like, oh, my thing is, and I could do, we could do this, we could do that. And I'm like, would you quit talking? Like, stop talking. You know, you gotta, you gotta go out and see what the people are talking about. What are they doing? What do they want? And then connect your thing to that. Yes, it's not about you. Not about <laughs> you. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm gonna let you go in a second. I could talk, can we do this on, can we all three do this next time and you're in New York? Are you in New York right now? No, I'm not. But listen, I, I will come to New York as soon as, listen, by the way, the new flex, I'm fully vaccinated. Oh, so yes. whenever, you know, like whenever we start moving around again, I'm there. I'm coming you know, to hang out. You know what the move is? You know, so like last <laughs> yes. night, last night at Zero Bond, I was hugging everyone I saw and then I whisper in their ear. I whisper in their ear like this. I'm vaccinated. Pfizer. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, the whole thing. That's the whole move. That's, yeah, the, that's move. the whole thing. Like, I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. You know I mean? And then my thing is, is Pfizer, wait, what'd you get, Pfizer or Moderna? Okay, well, here's the thing. I got the J&J. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yo, so here's the philosophy. Ready? With the J&J, yo. Here it is. Pfizer is Mercedes. Moderna uh -huh. is Ford. Johnson & Johnson is Ferrari, but it may take you right off the road, bro. You got to... <laughs> You got to be careful the way you whip the shit. And that's what it is. Listen, no, but you know, I don't play around. I called my cardiologist immediately. I was like, listen, here, you give me the right information. I was like, what kind of, what kind of medications do I need to be on? Like, what are we doing out here? Yep. But he, nah. he set me straight though. He was yeah, like, every, everybody's good. Everybody's good. There's seven out of 60 million. We gotta, we gotta stay the course. We gotta stay positive. Um, all right. So 2020, you get to Netflix, one of the most like well-known, successful, just brand names. They created an entire business. And they, we, we, everybody uses, like, so Netflix had Netflix and chill. Netflix is a, uh, whatever, a noun, verb. I don't even know what that shit is, but, um, but if there was a problem, let's just say, or something you needed to solve going into your job, I'm going to pretend I knew what it was, right? So I'm not going to even let you say it. This is what I would say if I was hiring you to be mm -hmm. the CMO of Netflix. I'd say we are the dopest, we have everything, but that ended up being our gift and our curse. And other platforms, if they can say anything about us, is they can say that they don't have only this, or you can't find just this, or you can't navigate easily this way. And Netflix now has to compete with an arms race of mm -hmm. other companies. So we need to, 
double down and lean in to why we fell in love with Netflix and how Netflix and chill means that Netflix needs to be with us at all times, right? So I would say that to you. That's what I would say. Even though you'd be hiring me, I wouldn't be hiring you. But I would say that to you. Um, what was actually said and what was your kind of task to do in this, in this new position? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, the, I had two conversations with one with Ted, one with Reed. Um, they were both very different, which I actually really liked, you know, because I felt like it was like yin and yang. Um, which was really interesting to me because I, I hadn't seen two leaders who were who had worked together for so long because they've been working together for like 22 years or something who were so different, but yet found a common ground. And what they said was that, yes, you know, Netflix had found its place, you know, innovated in a time when everybody else was trying to just do the same thing. Right. R.I.P. Blockbuster, you know. And um, but now at another inflection point, and to be honest with you, I heard that word and I was like, yep, I knew I knew exactly what I needed to do. You know, it's like the art of the pivot is perhaps my secret weapon. You know, understanding how to move when shit is changing and to be able to see it very clearly when other people are still scrambling, trying to figure out what's next. You know, I can see it and I'm committed to it. And so what happened in that moment was that, you know, I just, it actually wasn't their sale to me. I, I was trying to sell them, <laughs> you know, and saying that like, oh no, I, I understand where you're going. I probably understand it maybe better than you. Yep, I I'm here, I'm here already. I'm here, I'm already in the future. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the future. You know, y'all are talking about this competition with this, that, that, and no, 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 I'm looking at the people. Yep. And I know exactly what it is that they want. And what they want isn't just um, a plethora of content. They want to feel at home. You know, they want to feel like they can come here and they don't know what they want, yep. but they're going to find it. You know, and so at the end of the day, it's not really about the algorithm. It's not about, you know, just what is served to you, but it's this belief in coming to a place that knows you. You know, the best friend that could be like, oh, you in a bad mood? Listen here, we're going to watch this thing. You're yep. going to feel so much better. Yep. Or maybe you're in a bad mood and they know you need to go a little bit deeper into that bad mood. Because, you know, yep. sometimes you need to do that. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. here you go. Here's that to make you even sadder than you already were, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to me, the the real center of it is can we pivot from being the biggest into being the closest. Yep. And that is going to be the magic. That's gonna be the turning. Well, you know why you're so good and why I'm okay? Is I was trying to say that. That's actually what I was, exactly what I was trying to say. You just like articulated it way more thoughtfully. <laughs> but you know, I will say sometimes when I get in a, a hole of streaming and all of a sudden I get this thing where I'm so lost, I'm like, let me just get my ass back to Netflix. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what the hell I'm listening, watching anymore. And I do think that that's what their brand does with some people. It's like, yeah. if I'm just, you know, when you were younger, you scroll through cable and you always have like your 10 movies that no matter what, like, oh shit, Miss Doubtfire's on. I'm gonna watch this no matter what. Like it'd be game right. seven in the NBA championship and you're watching Miss Doubtfire by accident. <laughs> but that's how I feel about Netflix. It's like my wife and I could be like, man, there's nothing on. Let's just see what's on Netflix. And that's yeah. that's dope. That's, yeah. that's yeah. what's dope. Yep. Yeah. 
Yes. And, and stuff that like maybe you wouldn't ever watch, you know, Uh, which I think is maybe one of the most incredible data points uh, that, that, you know, I've learned over the time, which is that people are really adventurous, you know, they'll, if you, if you allow them to try and figure something else out, they'll, they'll go over there and do that. Yeah. Like, I love that, that people are willing to cross the seas and maybe this is a nice, you know, maybe um, like, you know, it just feels like just coming back, you know, to the center of like, you know, the kids who were with me in seventh grade, uh, who hadn't been outside of Colorado, you know, that if Netflix had existed at the time, um, they could have seen the beauty of other cultures without leaving their living room. Yeah. You know, perhaps right now in this moment, I'm able to help usher a new way of uh, understanding people in a, in a different way that perhaps I was given. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Well, I have, I'm blown away. I'm really proud to now say that I know you. Can I say we're friends? Yes. Oh, we're friends. Oh, we, we tight. All right, bet. Cause I feel, I feel like we are tight. Like I really do. Now I feel like we're we tight. Are tight. We are Thank tight. You. Because guess what? The next time when we meet up, I'm asking the questions. Cause I feel like, Done. you know, I know your story, but I don't think I know, know your story. And so I want to get into that too. Oh my God, please. Cause then we can, oh my God, this is incredible. You know what? I was, I already, I, you answered at my last question and I don't want to ruin this incredible energy. I will just tell you that this has been a blessing. I appreciate it. Episode 38 was incredible. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Gianni. I appreciate both of you. This is an incredible space. I just, you know, I, I forgot for a second that we were recording. I know. I'm like, I'm just, <laughs> we're just talking. So we're I don't know talking. what I said. I might have said some but I'm, I'm fine with it because uh, it was all truth. And I really appreciate the space to be able to say it. So thank, thank you, you so much. And, and thank and, you so much, Bose. And before we go. For this and the internship. Oh, yes. <laughs> always, Johnny. Always, I would hire you again. Okay. So. Whoa, 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 whoa. Johnny, chill out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh, and, be, and by the way, before we let you go, special shout out to your homie from Columbia that lets you sleep on the couch. You always got to no. let that. Per- Angie. 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 Yeah, shout out to Angie. Checks on the way. (laughs) Checks on the way, Angie. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. All right. Thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Okay. I'll see you next time. Gianni, man, what an incredible podcast, bro. Fire, right? Yep. Episode 38, well, I appreciate everybody. They should appreciate me for this one because, um, man, we brought it. And um, go and subscribe. Keep subscribing. Keep downloading. Go download my man KD's pod, the et cetera. Go on boardroom.tv. Go to every single Give pod us five provider. stars. Give us five stars. Yo, why would you say, man, Gianni, we the pe- no, people don't love, we not hot in the streets right now, but we hot, we not hot in the streets. <laughs> We're not hot in the streets, but we know what? We keep chugging along. We're meeting incredible people, and I'm proud to do this with you every day, bro. This was fun. So thank you, everybody. Speak to you soon. Peace. Later.